experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. And last week, I did my annual outlook. I did it via webinar. And today, I wanted to go back and just recap some of the things I said concerning the big picture. If you're interested, you can view the entire webinar. Uh, We posted it on our website, and that's xmlfg.com. Once again, it to xmlfg.com. You look under the resources tab and I'm sure you can find it from there. So a good place to get started is by looking backwards. For basically the last 10 years, and I'm talking about from 2010 to 2020, coming out of the great financial crisis, we had a tremendous run in the equity markets. Over that period of time, the last 10 years, the market is up almost 200%. So the simple math tells you 200% return over 10 years. Well, that means the market's averaged about 20% per year. That's a nice bull market run. It was going well. Well, until it ended this past year back in March. Now, I sit back and I'm thinking, who would have believed me if I said last January, you know what, folks, we're just about to have a global pandemic the likes of which we've never seen. And it'll claim almost 2 million lives and shut down economies around the world. But forget all that. You know what? The market's still going to be up about 16% for the year. Who would have believed me? Absolutely no one. I wouldn't have believed myself. Over the, la- uh, over the past five years, and the market's just continued to grind higher with low volatility. Yeah, we did, we did have a few spats like at the end of 2017 and in mid-2018, but for the most part, volatility has been below average for a long time. And I'm using the VIX as my gauge, just so you know. And those spikes in 17 and 18, those happened when the Fed was trying to raise interest rates. In my opinion, the reason the market has done so well for so long was because of the ample fiscal and monetary stimulus that we had coming out of the great financial crisis. And we all know the the reason for the historic spike in volatility, volatility last year. Things looked absolutely terrible back in March when it spiked up. And I said on this show, I thought it was about time to do some buying. I know back then it sounded like crazy talk, but Remember, new bull markets aren't born when everything looks rosy. No, they rise up from the ruins. In a nutshell, I think we've already started a new bull market. Now, it won't be without its usual challenges and typical pullbacks on occasion. But those types of things, you know, they're a healthy reset that allow the market to go higher. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the market hit 7,000 on the S&P 500 in five or seven years. Now, that may sound lofty to some of you, but it's really only about 12% per year. And that's substantially lower than the returns that we've seen over the last 10 years. 
this coming year is, well, I think it's anyone's guess, but I think we do fairly well. And a lot of those returns have already been sucked forward starting in November. As I said, I do think we have a lot of upside if you lengthen out your time frame a bit, especially because of the stimulus being provided. I think we're entering a period that's very reminiscent of 2009, 2019, when interest rates were darn near zero. Simply put, when interest rates are low, stocks tend to do well. And that's because your investment dollars are always looking for their best alternative. You walk down to the bank and you ask the banker what kind of rate they would give you on a CD. Well, the banker will look in there, look in the vault and say, well, I got these half percenters for a year. But if you want to lock them up, I got these 20-year CDs and we'll give you 1% on those. And people are looking at that and they're saying, I can't afford to live off of a half percent taxable. So I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll up my risk. I'll buy stocks. I'll hope for a higher return. So with low interest rates, people are willing to pay more for stocks. Right now, there's a lot of cheap money available, which encourages risk taking. Besides having a ton of easy money available to investors, things don't look terrible as you might think. Even if you do think things look terrible, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic going forward. Before 2020 hit, the economy was doing well. And as as I go through this, keep in mind that this recession, crisis, whatever term you prefer, this was much different than the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. This one was self-imposed. Not that there was something out of balance within the system. No, we did it to ourselves. Let's talk about unemployment. At the beginning of 2020, we had the lowest unemployment rate since the late 60s. We got down to about three and a half percent. And then just a few months later, we had one of the highest rates we've ever seen, up near 15 percent. Well, now we're down around seven or eight percent unemployment. And the takeaway here is that we're rebounding back. We're coming back. But there's still plenty of room for improvement. And those people who are working, well, they're seeing some steady increases in wages. Median wage growth is around three and a half percent now, which gives those people the ability to spend more. That is, if they were going anywhere. You know, the sad part of all this has been the fact that the people who need it the most have suffered the most. And I'm referring to the service workers, you know, the hotels, the restaurants, all the other small businesses. If you're what they refer to as a white collar worker and you're able to work from home, well, you're probably doing relatively okay. And I'm saying this because consumers are the backbone of our economy. They're spending accounts for about 70% of GDP. And you look at it, their balance sheets are in good order. Yes, debt has risen, but more importantly, debt as a percentage of their disposable income has fallen. So they aren't overburdened like they were going into the housing crisis. But just because consumers' balance sheets are in good shape, that doesn't mean they're going to spend or even have a reason to spend. I think that as as we see the vaccine more widely distributed and businesses returning to normal, 
you'll see the consumer regain their confidence and start to spend more. And they're able to get out, obviously. As I said earlier, there are two big factors that have been driving the market and will probably continue to do so for a long while. And that's the monetary and fiscal stimulus. You already know that interest rates are very low. That's the monetary part of it. And if you haven't refinanced your house lately, probably something you might want, you might want to look at because mortgage rates are down, I don't know, two and a half percent. It's just unbelievable how low they are. What's important here is our Federal Reserve has said, has said that they're going to keep rates low at least through 2023. My guess is that it could be even longer as we recover. So you have low interest money available and a darn good amount of it. And that's the fiscal part. We flooded the system with liquidity. Compared to, you know, compared to now, you look back, the financial crisis in 2009, well, that looks like junior varsity practice. We've way outdone that. And it seems likely to me that the government's going to continue to spend and provide money. This is eventually going to come home to roost. You're seeing huge deficits. It'll come home to roost and we'll have a price to pay for it. But I think that's something that'll happen later this decade. You don't need to worry about it now. One thing that could derail my bullish outlook would be rampant inflation. Last 20 years, inflation's averaged eh, about 2%. And maybe, maybe with all the free, easy money, the economy starts to overheat a bit. And the Fed said they're going to keep rates low so because they don't want to stall the economy. And maybe the Fed does get caught behind the eight ball and inflation does get out of hand. Now, a little inflation isn't necessarily bad for stocks, especially those stocks that have some pricing power, but it, it's going to be terrible for bonds. It's very tough to own bonds now since you're just getting diddly squat. That's a technical term for nothing. Hence, I've had a lower allocation to bonds over the last several years. Let me give you an exaggerated example. And again, this is an exaggerated example. And keep in mind, bond prices and interest rates have this inverse relationship. As interest rates go up, bond prices go down and vice versa. It's like a seesaw. If you bought a 1% CD, you know, I just talked about it a few minutes ago. If you bought a 1% CD for $1,000, that gives you $10 a year in income. So you did it. Now the bank comes out with a new 2% CD. So it would be paying $20 a year on that $1,000. Now, if you needed to sell yours, you would have to sell your CD you bought for $1,000 for $500 just to match the income that the new 2% CDs were paying. That's how risky income is right now. I think there's more risk in bonds than in stocks. So inflation is the enemy here. I will say, I do think that we'll get a good whiff of it sometime this year, but it should prove transitory. Meaning as businesses reopen and get going, you could see a temporary spike. For example, your local restaurant, it reopens. 
well, you know, they've been closed forever, so they don't have any milk or flour or eggs and what have you in the in the walk-in fridge. No. So what do they do? They pick up the phone. They start ordering it. Well, you know what? Everyone's doing the same thing. You're going to see a pickup in demand while at the same time, we haven't been producing all those things. So you could see it get out of, out of whack there. The definition of inflation is too much demand for too few goods. So again, you could see a whiff of it, but again, I think it'll be temporary. And I don't think that the Fed would react or worry, uh, react or worry too much about it. Now, what I've been doing for myself in the portfolios I manage is I'm buying short-term inflation protection, basically short-term treasury inflation-protected securities. Remember I said inflation is too much demand for too few goods? At the moment, we have a lot of money, but it's not chasing, chasing anything. It's just sitting there. And even if it did start to move, well, we have the capacity to produce more goods. You know, we have a ways before capacity gets strained. The big question for a lot of folks, is the market overvalued? My answer would be yes. You, I look at it and I see the multiple on the S&P 500 is sitting at, I don't know, 22, 23 times earnings. That's how much investors are willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. And right now it's at 20, 23 times. The 20-year average is about 15 or 16. So yeah, there's a big gap there. But there are a number of things here too, right? You got low interest rates. The main thing I think is earnings are a bit of a mystery. It's a very unusual time. So what I would do is I would stick with the fundamentals of a business as opposed to trying to make any time of market type timing call. So let me wrap this up. Let me summarize this, give you the executive summary. If I didn't make it clear, I believe that we're at the beginning of a new bull market in equities. And it's very possible the S&P 500 hits 7,000 in the, oh, say, next five or seven years. And that's because we have that unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus. It's very reminiscent of when we were coming out of the financial crisis. Money was pumped into the, uh, into the system. Interest rates were held low. And, you know, we know what happened the next 10 years. What happened? the next 10 years for stocks, I should say. I think the financial system is in better shape now than what it was back then. Back then, it was a bank crisis. And all the money the government was providing got caught up in the banking system because the banks were trying to shore up their balance sheets. So most of the money back then didn't make its way to Main Street. This time, the banks are in great shape, or they were going in great shape going into it, so that money is finding its way to Main Street. Of course, we're still in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, so we're going to hit our bumps along the way. There's no doubt about it. We get a 5-10% correction, that would be a healthy reset. Nothing other than that, right? I said earlier that inflation, eh, there's a good possibility that inflation might show its face sometime later this year. Again, I expect it to be transitory. If this does happen, bonds will suffer. And you could see some easiness, an uneasiness in the stock market. And I've been buying uh, short-term inflation bonds. Nonetheless, 
overall, rates are incredibly low by historical standards. And I think that bonds are actually more expensive than stocks. So there's more risk there than one might expect. I would also expect that the global markets do well. If you're looking for non-U.S. investments, I'd favor developed markets over the emerging markets, mainly because I think that China will be trying to pump up their economy. Chinese Communist Party celebrate their 100th anniversary in October, and I think that they want to throw themselves a little birthday party and inflate things a bit. And that's good for commodities, uh, commodity economies, Australia, um, just developed markets overall. Now, I do think that the emerging markets may struggle a little bit in comparison because of the pandemic. I, I don't know if they have the infrastructure to distribute the vaccine, and I think it'll just take them more time. I also think that the U.S. dollar drifts a bit lower over time, and this is also good for corporate earnings because keep in mind, about 40% of the S&P 500 revenues come from overseas. Okay run out of time. On the next show, I'll be talking about a couple of stocks that you might want to do some research on. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. show now it's time for the really good stuff so listen up it's the disclosures the things i talk about during the show well they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the xml financial group i typically own and trade the securities i'm discussing both personally and for my clients but not all of them likewise employees of xml and our affiliate broker dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.